2: You better be feeling mentally sharp to listen to this show, because one thing we're going to start doing is we're going to send out written exams to people who listen to the show and see how well they understood what got said. And for people who weren't mentally sharp, there will be consequences. I'm not prepared to say what they are, but there will be consequences. We're going to talk about impeachment probably for the entire show today. Uh, We're going to take your phone calls in the second half of the show about impeachment. Uh, They should be mentally sharp phone calls, if possible. Uh, And if possible, we would only like to hear from very stable geniuses. But, um, you know, obviously we can't control for that. In the first half, we are going to have one of the nation's leading experts on impeachment. And, you know, there are obviously legal scholars who are experts on impeachment. But in terms of sleeves rolled up, hands in the dishwater... Uh, experts on impeachment. You cannot beat Ross Garber. He teaches political investigations and impeachment law at Tulane Law School. He's a legal analyst for CNN, the founding principal of the Garber Group. And he's just handled a lot of impeachments. He's represented four governors at least in impeachment uh, proceedings. Uh, If you start to get impeached for something, there's a good chance you're going to wind up calling Ross. So uh, Ross, because he's a Connecticut guy at heart, uh, he's nice enough to join us here today. Uh, He's been on our show before. Welcome back, Ross Garber.
1: It is good to be here, but nobody told me about the whole mentally sharp thing yeah, before yeah. I agreed to be on. Right.
2: That's a little bit of bait and switch on our parts, and I'm sorry about that. So um, one thing maybe, to, one place to begin, something that you've, uh, you've talked about in the past is, you know, impeachments tend to, I think happen on at least two tracks. One of them is the track of the actual procedure taking place in Congress, the fact-finding, the votes on uh, on resolutions, uh, the ultimate trial. And the other one is the one taking place in the public. And it's, I think you would say, a mistake to forget that there's sort of a conversation going on among the principles of an impeachment that doesn't take place in hearing rooms. It takes place in, in the press or in various other public forums.
1: Yeah, well, and, and I, I'd add another track to that, which is the totally private, uh, <laughs> you know, track of, of impeachments where people are talking to each other. It's behind closed doors and sometimes it never actually becomes public at all. So sort of those three tracks. And, and, and yes, I think the, you know, the it's the, the public piece that actually does sometimes get forgotten. Uh, or at least not paid enough attention to, and it winds up being very important. One, because at heart, impeachments are largely political. They take place in a political environment. And, you know, politicians care about politics. They care about whether they're getting reelected. They care about the public's perception of things. And the public perception is also important, critical for a much more high-minded reason, which is that at, bottom, impeachments sort of undo or or upset the results of an election. And we take elections very seriously in this country. And, you know, before we upset the results of that election, uh, the public really should be involved and should be sort of brought along in the process.
2: I mean, you know, one thing that I see a lot in some of the rhetoric among people opposing this process right now is the word coup. And it always bothers me because it seems to me, Ross, that, you know, we have impeachment, so we don't have a coup d'etat. In other words, you know, there has to be some way of removing a dysfunctioning uh, executive or judge. uh, But we don't want to have a coup d'etat. We want to have a codified process that's all spelled out and which, as you suggest, also needs to enjoy some kind of baseline of public support.
1: Yeah, and then, and actually Ben Franklin, way back in the day, was very explicit about that. He said that's that's actually one of the main reasons to have an impeachment uh, process, because you know traditionally to get rid of a a ruler you didn't like, it would be sort of a you know a coup or a an assassination or something like that. And we have an impeachment process. I I think uh, the folks who are who want to call it a coup are using that as shorthand for a process that's kind of not as legitimate as it should be or, or not legitimate at all. Uh You know, coup is kind of shorthand for... For, for that, I think. See, and, with, and it's, yeah. you know, and Trump's using it to appeal to his base, obviously.
2: Right, and I mean yeah, I, I, what they're saying, I just think it's an unfortunate choice of word because it's a word that does have some meaning, but I think what they're saying is, yes, there's a codified process, but they're not using it correctly. They're taking some kind of shortcuts or they're abusing it. Although, you know, the words that are actually there in the Constitution, uh, Ross, don't exactly, for example, I don't think there's anything in the Constitution that says that the House has to pass a resolution, I any
1: point, no, not at all no there there, there is uh, the past couple of classes uh I've taught have been focused on on you know these exact issues. I mean, there is very, very little in the actual constitution about impeachment. You know it says the House has the sole power to impeach, the Senate has the sole power to try. Uh, you know, In a Senate trial, the chief justice is the presiding officer, you need two-thirds to convict, and there's not much else in there, and the Constitution doesn't talk about the House process for impeachment. I think what what, what the reference is to is tradition and precedent and history.
2: Right, although that's kind of complicated, too, because, for example, as I've repeatedly pointed out to people, everything you think you know about Watergate, <clears throat> John Dean talking about the cancer on the presidency, or the discover discovery of the secret White House taping system, all of that, all of those revelations preceded the resolution to impeach. The seven, the seven senators select committee, the Sam Irvin committee, uncovered all that stuff before there was a resolution to impeach. I mean, it kind of stands to reason that some fact-finding should precede the, the resolution to impeach. Otherwise, you don't know what you're you're impeaching on.
1: Yeah, well, I mean the the yeah, that 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 makes sense and then people point out that in the in the Clinton situation and remember these things are ridiculously rare in American history, ridiculously rare. So we don't have that much to go on, that much experience. And people point out in in Clinton there was a whole star investigation that preceded any sort of impeachment effort. Um, the I uh, I think the the point the president's lawyers are trying sort of to make, although I, I honestly think not very well, uh, is that in the past, before there were actual articles of impeachment voted on, there was a an impeachment inquiry authorized by the full house, and then there was a, a process before a committee where the president's lawyers were allowed certain rights. They were allowed to be there for questioning of witnesses. They were allowed... You know, even though all that stuff, as you pointed out, happened in Watergate before the formation of an impeachment committee, once the Judiciary Committee was authorized to do an impeachment inquiry, they actually did hold lots of hearings, mm-hmm. lots of witnesses. The president's lawyers were there. They got to cross-examine them, all of that stuff. And so once once that's done – historically the president's lawyers have been afforded rights I think the Trump's lawyers are saying well wait a minute you know that doesn't seem to be happening and there doesn't really seem to be a plan for that to happen here
2: right Um, on the other hand so let's just talk a little bit about sort of who who got game You know, I know from knowing you all these years that if I were being impeached as governor of something or whatever, that when I hired you, which I would absolutely do, um, you would say, "Okay, you have to stop talking. Don't talk anymore. (laughs) And you have to get the other people who are relevant to this case to stop making unscripted statements to the press. All of this kind of has to be uh, vetted in a particular way. The public message is very important here. And worse still, if people go off half-cocked at press conferences, they can create other opportunities uh, for formal procedures pursuing some some of the new information that you create by making statements. I assume I'm correct about all this, that that's the kind of discipline you would want to impose on me and my cronies and Confederates and appointees.
1: Yeah, and it may be that you can't completely stop talking because, you know, Governor McEnroe is still a politician and maybe he wants to get reelected or elected to some other office. So maybe you can't completely stop talking, um, but you got to be really, really careful about it. And if you're going to talk, You've got to make sure that you do it in the right way. And these days, you can avoid, politicians are very successful at avoiding talking about stuff they don't want to talk about, especially when there's an investigation going on. I mean, how many times have we heard, well, there's an investigation happening, so it would not be appropriate for me to comment. The press is, it has become used to that and tolerant of it, and that that actually works a lot. But if you're going to talk, yeah, you've got to be very, 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 very careful because usually it blows up in your face when you're not.
2: And I would assume also that if I hired you, Ross, and it turned out that I had another lawyer who was representing me in other kinds of matters, who was very fond of going on television and saying all kinds of things and occasionally contradicting himself uh, on some of the facts relevant to this case within the same interview, uh, who who himself, he himself seemed to be materially involved in some uh, of the pressing questions relevant to my impeachment, you would ask me to discontinue my association with said counsel.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know if you've seen my, uh, my Twitter account. I follow we your Twitter of... account like the
2: pole star. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh,
1: geez. My, but my head is sort of exploding over the whole <laughs> broody thing um, for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, one of the other things I, I, I do when I advise public officials is that they really have to distinguish between their official People and objectives, and their personal people and objectives, and everybody needs to know who's who. So, in other words, if you're if you are White House counsel or representing the 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 president uh, in his official capacity, that is one thing, and uh, and you've got to be focused on sort of the official side of things. If you are the president's personal lawyer, that's okay. You're representing the president. Personally, and you've got to be focused on the personal side of things. And each side can kind of, you know, can not necessarily get awake, but is responsible for things that the other side isn't. And so what you want to do is keep those things in mind and you can coordinate, but you have to keep those divisions in mind. And the whole Rudy thing uh, really it sort of blows my mind because uh, Rudy seemed never to recognize Uh, kind of what his mission was and who he was advocating for. He was representing the president personally, but then he's traveling all over the country doing political appearances, you know, and then he's acting as the president's sort of envoy on the Ukraine and meeting with foreign officials with respect to Ukraine. And then he's actually working with these, you know, two, you know, former Soviet guys uh who also have their own motives. And you're exactly right. Then he's also going on TV and sort of piping off about all sorts of things, which, by the way, I think is going to be, it's, it's bad, but it's probably going to be the least bad thing Rudy's done.
2: Right. I I mean, I was sort of laughing while you were talking because in terms of the idea of people staying in their lanes and having clearly defined roles that are not blurred beyond recognition, that ship has so sailed. It it has sailed, Ross. It has circumnavigated the globe a couple of times. Uh, I mean, you have Gordon Sondland, the uh, envoy to the European Commission. This is not a member of the deep state. This is a guy who's recently appointed. He's a businessman, Republican supporter. and I mean, in his opening statement, as you know, he. He said that it was quickly apparent that diplomacy on Ukraine was going to be guided by Rudy Giuliani, who's a private citizen with no official capacity within the federal government, that if you wanted changes to it, if you wanted to turn the ship in some different direction, your only option was to persuade Giuliani that that was the thing to do. So, so much for staying in your lane, right?
1: Yeah, well, and, and and kind of the staying in your lane thing makes it sound bureaucratic, but this is exactly the reason why uh, there have to be those kind of recognitions of of division, and so it's you know it, it's shocking that Rudy was allowed to do this. It's It's shocking that Rudy did it first of all, and then it's also shocking that Rudy was allowed to do it. That there was nobody around. You know, Trump, and you know let's put Trump aside and what he was thinking. you know, put that aside for a second. But there's no one around him to say, uh, hey, Mr. President, sir, we can't do that. Rudy is a private citizen. He represents you personally. He also may represent other people. He may also have other business in in Ukraine. We can't have him or- organizing, arranging foreign policy, it's its fundamentally inappropriate and potentially unlawful, but for sure inappropriate. So that this went on is, is just astounding.
2: It, now, let's sort of look at the other side for a second, because it, it's pretty clear that from Pelosi on down, there's a sense that the smart thing to do is to Tightly confine this impeachment inquiry to the Ukraine matters, that that's the way that you keep it a straightforward narrative that the public can comprehend and you don't wander off and get lost in the woods. One of the things, though, though, that I feel like might burst the containment shell of Ukraine is Rudy Giuliani, because as we know, I mean, as they start to detect this pattern, Rudy has some business interests. Diplomacy is altered to favor those business interests. Diplomats are removed from their jobs if they seem to oppose some of the monetary pursuits of Rudy and his friends. If they see that pattern cropping up in other places, starting probably with Turkey, it may be kind of hard, actually. to. To confine the the whole inquiry to Ukraine, even if that was your starting idea.
1: Yeah, well, Pelosi is in a is in a tough spot. I'm, in fact, I'm not sure who I'd least rather be, Trump or Pelosi, right now. I think Pelosi is in a very, very tough spot um, because put it putting aside messaging or all of that, she's now engaged in this process, uh, which at least so far, hasn't really moved the president's numbers, uh, which polls have shown that while people support it and oppose it, it doesn't really drive people's votes. And now she's coming up on an election cycle, and she saw what happened to Newt Gingrich during the the Clinton impeachment cycle where he lost seats in the House and and ultimately lost his his speakership. because of that. And uh, and so she's in a very tough spot, which is why right now is kind of the latest thing we're hearing is that she's going to, regardless of, of the scope, is going to try to get the house's business done by Thanksgiving and then move it to the Senate in the hopes that the Senate will act very quickly and get their piece done before the new year And then 2020 will actually be kind of an election cycle run on issues and non-impeachment stuff. That is very, very ambitious in part for the reason that you point out. Once you start digging, you know, it's hard in any investigation, but you know, this one also in particular maybe to say, all right, yeah, we found everything. That's it. Let's, let's move on.
2: Right. Uh, Well, there's so many things we could say about that, but maybe we should um, move forward and say. Another thing that we're seeing right now is, and I think we're seeing it in particular over the last week or so, We're seeing the fact that for the first time, maybe ever, Donald Trump is willing to do things to placate people who may eventually sit in judgment of him. Phil Rucker from the Washington Post refers to a season of weakness, you know, and it was really evident, obviously, over the weekend when he backed down from having the G7 at his Doral resort in Miami. This is not the kind of thing that he would have backed down on, but apparently it was as a result of Republican pressure. And I mean, he's no longer in a position, it seems, just to tell people, that he's going to do whatever he wants. In a way, we're already seeing the first trickle of consequences from an impeachment process.
1: Yeah, probably, probably so. Although the Doral thing, even the outside impeachment, that may have been something that that, that would have gotten such backlash that it would have been a bridge too far. The notion that you're the president and you're going to award a contract to your own property to host foreign leaders, that that may have have still blown up. I I don't know if this is the beginning or not the beginning. You know, I think it was on I think it was on Thursday or Friday. Uh, he went after uh, Senator Lindsey Graham uh, pretty hard on Senator Graham's criticism of the president's uh, Syria policy. Uh, the, the president during a. Uh, joint appearance with the Italian uh, Prime Minister or President—I can't remember—told uh, uh, essentially told Lindsey Graham to stay in his lane that he should be worrying about the Judiciary Committee and to stay away from foreign policy. So I, I'm not sure it's the beginning or the or not the beginning because one thing Trump has actually been good at and is critically important in an impeachment um, is to uh, nurture your base. And Trump has been very, very, very good at that. And so I think if if Trump sees the, uh, you know, the, the, a, a potential risk with senators, but a reward f- from his base, I think he'll still uh, honor his base.
2: In a way... It almost seems, and I'd love for you to comment about this, as though Trump would be better served if he were the only person from his inner circle who ever spoke about it. He at least is very good, as you say, at persuading his base, at holding on to his base. But with this lack of discipline, well, we have, I mean, really the most undisciplined person lately seems to be Chief of Staff Mulvaney. Let's hear the latest out of him everybody thinks that that's what you said and you didn't. You said right there. Right. Three points,
0: not two. Well, And a couple of different things. You again said just a few seconds ago that I said there was a quid pro quo. Never use that language because there, there is not a quid pro quo. You, but you were asked by,
2: by Jonathan Karl. You've and, described a quid pro quo and you said
0: that happens all the time. And, and, and reporters will use their language all the time. So my language never said quid pro quo. But let's get to the, the, the heart of the matter. Go back and look at that list of three things. What was I talking about? Things that it was legitimate for the president to do. Number one, it is legitimate for the president to want to, uh, to know what's going on with the ongoing investigation into the server. Everybody acknowledges that, at least I think most normal people do. It's completely legitimate to ask about that. Number two, it's legitimate to tie the aid to corruption. It's legitimate to tie the aid to foreign aid from other countries. That's what I was talking about with a three. Can I see how people took that the wrong way? Absolutely. But I never said there was a quid pro quo because there isn't. Again, Chris. I mean,
2: this is kind of his third version uh, of what his position is. And, Ross, I feel like if there were a war room where everybody sat down every day and kind of made sure they were all on the same page, you wouldn't have these wildly divergent accounts getting out
1: into the press. Yeah, well, part of it is that that we're still not quite sure what the, what the White House's story about all of this is. And, and Mulvaney has... It seemed an idea of what the White House's story should be, which was, uh, there was this exchange, uh, and get over it. This is what happens all the time. We have, we, ex- we, uh, have policy objectives that we demand in exchange, quid pro quo, in exchange for a foreign government getting aid. He pointed that out. It happens all the time. He says, and he suggested uh, that fighting corruption, including in the ways that the president identified on the phone call uh, with the, the president of Ukraine, fall into that category. And so there was nothing wrong with it. I, I think that is a that is a potential way to go for a defense that the president thought that what he was doing was appropriate in the national interest and so you don't get impeached for that that is a that is a potential defense it seems as if uh the president and and perhaps others said no 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 that's actually not going to be our our defense our defense is that there wasn't a quid pro quo so you know you, you made a mistake by saying that so un unsay it uh and that's the problem is i think there hasn't uh, there isn't a clear defense right now much less a war room to implement message discipline
2: um let me just ask you one more question. I know you're very busy. Uh, Ross Garber is uh, taking some time out to join us today. Partly because I knew him when he was first getting his impeachment chops, you know. <laughs> I got to watch I got to watch Ross's rookie season up close. Yeah. Uh now of course uh, he's a major league all-star of impeachment. But um but you know even from that impeachment the impeachment of John Rowland, but also I think the impeachments of Clinton, the impeachments uh, impeachment of Nixon in particular, there's some kind of sense there of what the shape of the ball field is, you know, that there's there's certain people who are umpires, there's a certain place that's home plate, you know, that you, you kind of had a sense of that. And I feel as though this is all taking place in this very distorted funhouse version of, of a ballpark where it's less clear to me who the ultimate arbiters of truth and proper conduct based on facts would be. It feels as though because of who President Trump is and maybe how the media landscape has changed and uh, the way partisanship has actually deepened over the decades that this isn't exactly something you can map perfectly onto one of its predecessors.
1: Yeah, and I and I found uh, that actually in, in in each of the impeachments that I've worked on and in each of the impeachments that uh, that I, I teach about, they, they actually are all different. And a lot of it is because they are so, so rare. Um, you know, uh, in, in the whole history of the country, we're talking about, you know, three presidential impeachments. You know, for, for governors, there have only been 15. I mean, it's very, very, very few. And so in a sense, you are making each one up as you go along. This one, you're right, is a little bit more topsy-turvy than others because the president uh, doesn't behave like a normal politician, so it's tougher to predict uh, his actions and reactions. I mean, a normal politician or almost anybody would have not continued to have Rudy Giuliani Represent him. You know, right now, though, the notion of Rudy Giuliani potentially cross examining uh, the former vice president of the United States, Joe Biden, in a Senate trial is not beyond the ken. That could happen potentially.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, we'll let you stop there. Uh, you were very mentally sharp. Sharp Ross Garber um, teaches political investigations, impeachment law at Tulane a Law School, legal analyst for CNN, founding principal of the Garber Group. I could go on and on. The point is, if you're getting impeached, you got to call Ross Garber right away before things get out of hand. If you even think you're about to get impeached, you should call <laughs> Ross right now. Put him on retainer before somebody else gets him. Thanks for doing this today, Ross. Good
1: to be with you always,
2: Colin. Okay, we're going to take a little break right now, and then you get to talk. Uh, no guest in the second segment. I don't want to uh, open up the phones to you. It's eight 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 seven two zero W N P R. If there aren't any letters there on your phone keypad, let me do it numerically: eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven seven. And you can give us a call, and we'd uh, well, I'll I'll frame some ideas when we get back. But I would just love to hear your general questions, reactions, comments. Uh what else, things you're you're bearing grudges about? Uh, I don't know.
3: If you do something
2: you shouldn't do, the Constitution will deal with you.
3: Congress has power to impeach Republicans, Democrats in between
2: All right, we're going to take calls the rest of the way here. Um, that was a good impeachment song, by the way, Wolfie. That was great. Uh, it's amazing how many impeachment songs there have turned out to be, yes. Uh, but Kion Wolf is the person who picks out all that great music. Um, yeah, we're going to let you call in at 888-720-WNPR. That's 888 888-720- 720 9677. Seven. Alex has already called in so uh and by the way Betsy Kaplan is uh, manning the phones right now you get to talk to Betsy Kaplan but only briefly. Don't bring up your own life crises or health problems with her she's very busy she has to get these calls up on the board. Here's Alex from Wethersfield. Hi Alex.
4: Hey Colin how are you? Fine. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Yeah. I uh, just wanted to take issue with something that Ross Garbage just said, which is that Nancy Pelosi should be um, or she feels like she's going to have to fast track um, the impeachment proceedings to wrap it up by Thanksgiving. I think that would be a huge mistake for the Democrats and for the, the concerned Republicans. Um, there is a lot more beyond the uh, tip of the iceberg in Ukraine and the Biden issue um, that uh, lots of other grounds for impeachment um, Including high crimes, bribery, treason, um, all of the stuff that that uh, Trump has been doing to um, th- basically cripple our uh, country's ability to challenge Russian intrusion into our electoral system, um, and the fact that he's trusting Putin more than he's trusting uh, our intelligence establishment. Um, but um, anyway, I think you know, given how much uh, the Republicans raked Clinton over the coals over a you know over a personal affair. Um, that lasted for months, it would be crazy for the Democrats to just limit the scope of this inquiry into just uh, just the Ukraine peace.
2: It's a great point, Alex, although I would say this, and I, I think this is what Ross was taking from away from what Pelosi has said so far. You know, once again, these things, they are about the substance of what they're about, but they're also about the politics and, and in some ways the optics uh, uh, of it. And if you have 80 reasons to impeach, you have too confusing a picture for the average person to absorb, and there has to be some kind of public support for this. There is some argument, anyway, for having a kind of crystalline beauty to your five or six articles uh, of impeachment. And yeah, she's also just thinking about the fact that if if it bleeds into uh, the 2020 political season, it winds up being a kind of unpredictable form of pollution into the, the conversation that maybe needs to be about issues affecting the average person, you know, that ultimately, all, all the things like climate change uh, and health care uh, and policing and gun control and stuff, all the stuff that should be the substance of the campaign, wind up, winds up getting drowned out by the white noise of impeachment. I I, I, I agree that I don't think she's going to meet these deadlines. I don't think they're meetable, but I can understand why she has them.
4: I, I understand that, but I do think, and I agree with you, that, that um, you know, 80 80- percent reasons for impeachment would be too much for the public to absorb but I think limiting it to five or ten and and really hammering those points over and over again everything from his violation of the Monuments Clause and just calling out for what it is for the, the public thinks that's a very abstract term but is basically self-enrichment and he's done it on a grand scale exactly the way that our that our founding fathers uh, um, anticipated um, a, a, an abusive leader uh, could do and so the monuments Clause, the fact that he disclosed classified um, secrets to the Russian ambassadors Lavrov and Kislyuk um, the first time they ever had a meeting in the White House, and the fact that he is brazenly obstructing justice by refusing subpoenas left and right and showing contempt for Congress also by not releasing his tax records, which Congress has requested. And so we have no way of knowing how much money has been laundered through um, from the Russians, through Deutsche Bank. Into all of his hotels and casinos um and these are all issues that the public has every right to understand and to and to grapple with and I think there's a there's a real you know national interest in getting to the bottom of all of the swamp that he has he has generated.
2: First of all, you make a lot of great points, Alex, and thank you for calling, and you've really done your homework on this one. Um, I'll say a little bit more about what he said, but I want to give out the number again. We've got lots of open lines available for you if you want them. Uh, you could be asking a question. I'm not Ross Garber. I may, I can't guarantee I can answer it, but I, I've done a lot of my homework, too. Uh, or you may want to make a comment, or I mean, you may be—I mean, I'm still interested in hearing from people who— Really object to the impeachment inquiry, too. I think it's an interesting. and We don't hear from that them as much on public radio. So if you're that person. Anyway, the number is 888 720 WNPR, 888 720 9677. I'll just say this as the way that I understand the way that Pelosi and everybody who's following Pelosi's lead right now. Uh, is framing this impeachment inquiry. Some of the stuff that Alex talked about, although it's very interesting stuff, and he's right. A lot of it is the swamp that needs to be drained. I don't think you're going to see, for example, questions about Trump passing secrets or classified material along to uh, Russian officials. I don't think you'll see stuff material to this impeachment inquiry about him not producing his tax records. I mean, that may come up in other cases, particularly with, with, in front of the Southern District of New York. Um, but I don't think that those are – I think what they're going to do is stay with the Ukraine part of this and then explore you know, anything that is directly connected to the Ukraine part of this. I mean, one thing to remember here too is – another part of this is – that the special counsel laws were somewhat modified um, uh, post-Whitewater because I think nobody uh, from any side wants to see a probe like this just sprawl all over the place. I mean, in the case of Ken Starr, you know, he became a special prosecutor to look at Uh, or he inherited a special prosecution that was framed to look at a real estate deal in Arkansas. That's what that was all about. And by the time he was done, he was was concentrating almost entirely on things that had happened 1,000 or so miles away from Little Rock, uh, and had nothing to do with real estate and everything to do with SEX uh, and, and, and whether one was truthful about one, one's behavior. But, and I think people saw that inquiry, which went on and on and on and just you know cost a lot of money and used up a lot of time before it was ever resolved. They don't want to see that happen. This is going to be a narrow focus. Uh, and what I did today, Um, because I thought, well, you know, if you're going to talk about this stuff all the time, and I would sort of recommend it to anybody, uh, if you're going to talk about it all the time, you should be able to explain it either to yourself (laughs) or, you know, sitting at a dinner party with people who don't agree with you or whatever. So I tried to uh, get down to about 300, 350 words what I think is happening here. So I'm going to read it to you right now. Meanwhile, feel free to call in 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. So, yes, the impeachment effort is meant to be tightly focused on Ukraine. When we say Ukraine, we're talking specifically about an abuse of power. The charge is that Trump attempted to trade money. And I think it's important to remember that part of it. This is taxpayer money. This is our money. Um, money that we have contributed to the government through our taxes, which is now available uh, to be uh, used uh, uh, or offered in significant tactical ways to foreign uh, governments, he wanted to trade our taxpayer money for what he called a favor, that's his word, not mine, that was intended to advance his political, personal political interest. That's the story in a nutshell right there. Um, Now, there are subsets to it. It also appears that he's used, and I think um, Alex was saying this too, uh, he's tried to block experienced, professional American foreign policy staff from participation in Ukraine policy. He set up a parallel kind of pseudo State Department with Giuliani at its nexus. That's who began running our foreign policy, not the people who uh, are chosen to do it, but a kind of shadow version of that. Uh, He also attempted to obstruct the investigation already by instructing subordinates to defy subpoenas and by blocking the release of documents. I think that's all material to this impeachment inquiry. And then the last part of it, I think, is about money. And I think the degree to which this is going to turn out to be, some of this is going to turn out to be about money, there's a significant aspect uh, that fits that. So the current round of fact-finding will tell us more about whether Trump in setting up that kind of boiler room foreign policy shop was also trying to further the financial interests of Giuliani those two cronies anybody else who were involved the two I'm talking about the two guys who have already been indicted it seems possible based on what is already based on what's already known that the normal protocols of foreign policy were ditched so that certain people could make money. I think this may absolutely turn out to be about money. Um, I mean, not only about money, but money is going to be a part of it. it. It already, to a certain degree, is. All right, so here we go. Phone calls coming in here. Uh, multitudes. We're going to start with an anti. Here's Dave from Torrington. Hi, Dave.
3: Hi, how are you? Good. So, uh, I'm just listening. I, I listen to a lot of different um, views and, and media um, not necessarily all liberal, um, but there's been a theory out there that uh, this whole impeachment thing, while it seems like, from my perspective, that they're grasping at straws and you could have the same hold all of the last four uh, presidents to these kind of standards and found the same kind of dirt if you looked hard enough. But anyway, my thought and what I'm hearing is this Horowitz report coming out This whole impeachment thing is just to get out in front of that and create a smokescreen for it. And I'd like you to know your thoughts. Have you guys been listening to that? Do Do you not even, you know, is that part of the conversation? Is it all, nope, there's plenty of information here to impeach Trump we got to go with
2: it. I, I mean, Dave, I think what you just said, that there, there, this is not a smokescreen for anything else. This is a significant abuse of power, significant enough so that you're starting to see some Republicans to turn in that direction, significant enough so that you're starting to see public opinion pivot sharply in that direction.
3: Yeah, but the, screen, the media's been doing nothing but screaming this. You know, you see the polls, but, you know, the mainstream media doesn't even cover the counterpoints and, and the other uh, possibilities, and so uh, you know, what way? Do, you know, if you only have one side reporting one, one side of the news, that's I guess it, it all tends to go that way, doesn't it?
2: Right, I mean, I would say also similar things were said back uh, in the 1970s. You know that uh, that the media was unfairly concentrating on Watergate. I think ultimately the reason that that's happening is because there is a significant storyline here. And what makes this one somewhat different to me, anyway, is that there hasn't been a a comparable effort to conceal a lot of it. A lot of it, the Trump administration has essentially acknowledged uh, right right from the beginning, even releasing the notes on the phone call. It's kind of right there, you know. I I want you to do me a favor, and here's what the favor is. Um, uh, You know, anyway. Well, first of all, if, in fact, Donald Trump believed that uh, Joe Biden and or Hunter Biden... Let me just say one thing. Maybe this will mollify you a little bit. I, I do believe that there is a ton of what you might call soft corruption in government today. I think it's a pretty bipartisan phenomenon. I would love for ProPublica or some other really good investigative group to look at that, to look at how many spouses and offspring of members of Congress, senators and uh, representatives, are sitting on corporate boards, are finding ways to be paid Probably considerably more than they're worth on the open job market. Uh, I, I think it's I, I think it's it's a huge uh, huge problem. I'd love to see a massive investigation of it. In terms of Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, if Donald Trump was concerned about that, he has a large criminal justice force at his disposal. He can turn to the U.S. Justice Department and say this is important. It needs to be investigated. Uh, he's a, got a massive 16 agency intelligent uh, American intelligence operation at his disposal. Disposal. Instead, okay, he wanted but, the president of the Ukraine to investigate this for him. Well, that's very out of order. I mean, you know, you you don't do that. You you have your own people keep investigating. This
3: in, keep this in perspective, Colin, as the next couple of months unfold. These reports that are coming out in the deep state and all that that's going on with the FBI and the CIA. And look at Brennan. Are you you know these guys are, are career guys in the tank? I mean, how could he trust that?
2: I, I mean, I I just I, first of all, I just want to point out that prior to the the ascendancy of Donald Trump, deep state deep state was a term used by a small group of conspiracy crackpots, and and what it seems to refer to, I guess are people who have given their lives to work in the U.S. government, who are people like some of the diplomats who've testified this week, who've served six different U.S. presidents, Republicans and Democrats. That apparently makes you, if you have the kind of professionalism that would make it possible for you to serve to the best of your capacities, six different U.S. presidents with very different ideologies, that apparently makes you part of the deep state. That used to be called being a career civil servant, uh, a diplomat, a a general.
3: You can see the point that at some point some of these good players went bad and they went in the tank for this sort of soft corruption you were talking
2: about. I, I, don't, is, I, I don't see any evidence, evidence of that. I see a bunch of concerned career diplomats who saw some things happening that they had never seen before uh, and, and were being forcibly sidelined by a president who wanted to substitute his personal attorney and some people related to that personal attorney for the diplomacy apparatus of the United States. And I think they, they did properly rebel. You've seen a rebellion. Uh, I don't want to cut you off, Dave, but we do have to go to a break right now. Uh, we're going to grab a quick break. Thanks for that call from Dave, and we'll be back after this.
1: Instead of the CIA reducing his debt load by demanding lower interest rates, secret servers to hide his quid pro quos, hosting summits at Marlar. He's a con man of that's all great.
2: All right, we're back, uh, and yes, we have a lot of phone calls—more than I can ever possibly ever get to. Um, but uh, let's start with uh, Tony. I want to—I'm going to try to keep take mostly the calls that are focused on what we're talking about today. There are a lot of people who have some interesting comments want to go off in other directions. Mm, maybe another day for some of that. But here's a Tony in South Windsor. Hi.
0: Hi there. You're on the air. Um- Excellent, perfect. So uh, first I have to tell you that uh, maybe a year ago I called in and uh, you sent me a signed solo cup uh, as a prize for uh, completing your test. Uh,
2: We spare no expense here. We spare no expense in rewarding our our listeners.
0: Uh, So I appreciate that very much, and my kids enjoyed the little rubber duckies, so thanks. Okay. Um, That that being said, um, so my concern is, what happens after the impeachment process is over? So uh, let's say he gets impeached or doesn't get impeached. Like, how do the respective parties respond? Um, you know, I guess I'm more concerned with if he does get impeached, because, you know, why not? Um, and how the Republican Party handles that? Because there's these steadfast Trumpers now who are, you know, primarily the ones in the Senate who, who would be involved in the, you know, uh, conviction process and the, the actual trial. but. You know, what happens to those representatives and, like, how do they respond and then how does the electorate respond to those, you know, individuals? Um, you know, I, I guess I'm just – it'll be so fascinating to see, um, you know, what happens after, you know, I guess. And and, and I, I, you know, the, the, I'm wondering what your feelings are, what your thoughts are, what the thought experiment looks like. Um, in the wake of however this impeachment process goes, because I, I think that if he doesn't get impeached, um, you know, he's galvanized. Right. And then we have to deal with whatever that looks like right um, uh, you
2: know, I, I think it's Tony you're asking a great question I mean it in a way it is the question not the question that you're asking right now because I I, sure, I, I don't right. I think it's the likelihood is very strong that he will be impeached and the question is what does what happens when it goes to a trial in the Senate and you know I think most people would probably put it at kind of 80 20 odds that he will not be convicted he will not be uh, removal will not be voted there won't there might be 20 Republican votes but that's not enough um, so Uh, I mean even if there were that many and as you say there are an awful lot of people who are pretty dug in there it would be hard for them to do it but I think one thing that you are seeing I think is people kind of trial ballooning this stuff, some of it in pretty obvious ways. I mean, Lindsey Graham, who has been, you know, uh, a pretty loyal follower of Trump and a good soldier uh, up to just a few weeks ago, uh, so much so that you sort of wondered, like, what kind of hold does he have over Lindsey Graham? He can get him to do anything. Uh, suddenly, Lindsey Graham is, is not even a trial balloon. He's just made it clear he is not going to go along with Trump on anything. I think the the move to back him down on the G7 thing is another instance of Republicans saying well you know what would it feel like if we just didn't do everything he wanted to, us to do uh, yeah and and so but, I, I you know I don't think it's I don't think it's a 100 percent chance that he won't be convicted in the Senate uh, I, I think it's a better chance than uh, than zero <laughs> but
0: I wonder I wonder how quickly and and how many more are going to peel off you know so how many more Republicans are going to uh, you know, realize that they have to save face. I mean, if they want to keep their jobs, they're going to have to, uh, you know, kind of turn on him a little bit, you know, with the G7 thing and, uh, you know, clearly the negative um, opinion of the masses that that came with, you know, that, that rubs off on these Republicans who are saying, like, he's doing a good job, you know. Um, so I wonder how many more he's going to lose. And then the more that he loses uh, that poll well, It inspires the rest of them to kind of peel off, too, and say, like, well, you know, uh, maybe we should stop appealing to this, you know, far-right, his, you know, the hyper-conservatives that... You know, support him wholeheartedly. Yeah, although you know, it,
2: it sort of, yeah, maybe we appeal to the
0: moderates. It depends know, on then,
2: where you, it depends on where you live, right? I mean, uh, an awful lot of this sure, depends. Sure. I mean, the Senate is the clo- The Senate is the closest electoral mirror to the Electoral College. You know, there are places where you can be a U.S. Senator and you're not re- representing that many people, and they may have pretty hardened views. But you've also perfectly described what what impeachment is. I, I think I- I'm always amazed when anything in the Constitution turns out right or turns out to work pretty well. I mean, it's fifty. Five white guys meeting in secret and day drinking while they're making a document that we all have (laughs) to live by now, but I mean you know, I think that that's exactly what they thought. They thought that we'll create a process where The electoral issues, the worries about reelection of members of the House and then members of the Senate will drive them ideally to do the right thing about a complicated question like removal, removal of an executive. You've described it perfectly. Now, I don't know exactly how that works out now, how it plays out in this environment, because unfortunately, the 55 white guys who were day drinking gave the Senate, gave small groups of rural voters in tiny little states way too much power. Over the process, both through the U.S. Senate and the Electoral College, what can we do? Can I take another call? Do you think? What do you What do you think, Betsy Copeland? One more call. One more call, and it's going to be Janine. Okay, okay, Janine, you're going to get the last word today, but we only okay. have about a minute. So,
4: I think the Trump presidency proves that what we should focus on is the Midas greed that he's brought to the Oval Office, and this should have us look at any candidate before they go in, and how much money they're earning. I'd like to mention Betty McCollum from Minnesota. I'm from Connecticut. But there's a woman I so admire, and she certainly isn't trying to make money. She is serving her public. And I'd love, there must be many people, representatives and Senate, oh, I don't know about the Senate, but representatives who are doing humble, wonderful work. Love to know about those people.
2: I think that yeah, holding those people up for admiration would be a good lesson, maybe a lesson that the nation needs to learn. I totally agree with you on this, Janine. I also think, as you're suggesting, we should sit these candidates down right at the beginning and say, you're not supposed to try to make money while you're president. After you're president, you can make tons of money. It's probably worth about a billion dollars. It's probably I mean, commodifiably about a billion dollar commodity. But that's after your presidency. Then you can do all this stuff. You can take money from all kinds of people. While you're president, no, sir. Just go do the job. Don't get paid by anybody except whatever your salary is. All right. That's all we have time for. Thanks to everybody who called in. Always happy to do something like this. I think it's one of the great uses of radio. And we will be back tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. We'll be back every day this week. That's how the show works.